Does the story of David and Goliath bring to mind the giants you face in your own life? Troubles and worries so huge they seem unconquerable. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares how you can vanquish those giants the same way young David handled Goliath, by trusting God for the victory. Here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, When Two Giants Meet. Well, we hardly ever uh, interrupt a story as important as this one, but we did this time. We we put the weekend in between the two parts of David and Goliath. But we are going to uh, make up for our mistake today and uh, tell you the rest of the story. The story today from the life of David is when two giants meet, and it's the classic uh, event between David and Goliath. We'll get to our study in a few moments. I'm just so excited about all that God is doing here at Turning Point. I want to tell you about a special event that's coming up in March of 2024. We are going to Israel with a whole bunch of people, and we're going to have a great time visiting Jerusalem, Galilee, the Dead Sea, the Jordan River. We'll have Michael Sanchez, Uriel Vega, and others who will be going along with us. We're just going to have a great time. And... um you know, we go in large groups, but then we're broken up into bus groups. And so your bus group becomes like your little family. You travel around in smaller groups so you can see everything and not feel crowded. And then when we have our main events, we all come together. It's like being in a massive church service. It's so incredible. And then look around and see where you are. You're on the southern steps of the old city of Jerusalem, or you're in the Caesarea Auditorium outside, or you're by the Sea of Galilee where the Sermon on the Mount was taught. It's just incredible. And I hope you get a chance to do this. You can find out more about it at davidjeremiah.org slash events. There you'll get all the details, and you can make your own reservation, find out what kind of reservations you want, all the travels involved in doing this. So... Please take advantage of this opportunity and come to Israel with us. We'd love to have you. Our resource for the month of June is The Focused Life, a beautiful leather-bound edition of the Psalms and Proverbs organized in such a way that you can read both books in one month. Five Psalms, one chapter from Proverbs, you will accomplish it. Psalms helps you relate to God. Proverbs helps you understand what's going on in life every day. You will be so blessed to have this, and it's a beautiful, beautiful book. It's yours for the asking when you send a gift to Turning Point. So when you send your gift, you say, please send me the book, The Focused Life. 432 pages of scripture in a beautiful leather cover. This is part two of When the Two Giants Meet. David decides he's going to enter. He's going to volunteer. Now watch what happens. Before he can get to Saul to put in his desire to go and fight the giant, he has to face a challenge in his own life. And that brings us to the third principle of champions, committed to routine things. That's evident. And the challenge by impossible things. I never saw a champion who didn't look at the impossible and say, somehow, someway, I think we can do it. But note thirdly, he was committed in spite of ridicule. Can I tell you something about champions? Listen to me carefully. Champions are always targets. You decide to be a champion for God, you're going to have people on your case all the time. In fact, the unfortunate thing is, when a person sets out to be above average and do something magnificent for God, he can almost be certain that he will be criticized from sources that really would surprise you if you stop and think about it. David's about to get shot down by his own brother. 
He has this confrontation with Eliab, his oldest brother. Notice what happens. Eliab, verse 28, the oldest brother of David, heard David talking into the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, what did you come down here for? And with whom have you left those few sheep you take care of in the wilderness? I know your pride and your naughtiness of heart. For you are come down that you might see the battle. Eliab, remember, is the man that Samuel passed over when he came with the horn of oil looking for the king. And Eliab walked out and Samuel looked at him and said, he's not the right one. And I'm sure Eliab must have thought, hey, I can be king. He was a man of great stature, apparently of some ability. But the God that was selecting the king wasn't examining the outward exterior. He was examining the heart. And Eliab was disqualified. And in his place, God chose his youngest brother, David. So you can imagine that Eliab must have had a little bit of antagonism toward his brother. And he really, really puts it to David. He says, David, what are you down here for? You, you just got a lot of pride. You're just down here to be seen. David, where are your sheep, David? Who's taking care of your sheep? Right there, David faced a great challenge. Is he going to fight with the critic or keep his eye on the goal? Every champion has to make a decision sooner or later in that arena. Anybody who sets out to do something great for God will have people ridiculing him and challenging him and criticizing him and he can make a choice. Either keep going as God has directed him or stop and do battle with the critic. David could have fought with his brother and he never would have gotten to Goliath. But David simply dispatched his brother with a question. He said, what have I done? What's the matter with you, Eliab? What have I done? Is there not a cause? Listen, Eliab, what difference does it make whether it's you or me or anybody else? The main thing is there's a cause out here. There's a giant out here who is belittling God and defying the armies of God. Let's don't fight among ourselves. Let's get at the task. Let's go after Goliath. David isn't finished. He's now going to have to take on Saul. Eliab tried to take him out of the plan and he barely gets by Eliab and now he goes before Saul. In verse 33, we learn what happens. Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for thou art but a youth and he's a man of war from his youth. David, you're overmatched. You can't fight this giant. You're just a kid. He's been a giant since he was a kid. Always somebody around to tell you you can't do it, isn't there? Always somebody around who doesn't have the courage to do it themselves and they want to make sure you don't have the courage to do it yourself either. And that whole army was filled with cowards. You know why? Because they were servants of Saul instead of servants of God. And Saul was a coward. And he saw little David. He said, David, you're crazy. There's no way. May I say to you today that when you step out to be a champion for God, you are often criticized by those you respect like Saul and those closest to you, like Eliab. But David knew who he was fighting, and he didn't get into a battle with Eliab, and he didn't argue with Saul. He just kept his eyes on the goal. Let me share with you the fourth principle of being a champion is he was not only committed in spite of ridicule, but he was courageous in the Lord. Notice verses 34 to 37. When Saul's trying to talk him out of going, David says, Now listen, Saul, let me tell you something. Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him, delivered him out of his mouth. And when he was rose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. 
Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And David said, Moreover, the Lord hath delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Now what is David saying? Is he a braggart? Is David just a brash, prideful young man who's too big for his britches? Is he just swaggering in his braggadocia? No. David didn't say, I can do it, did he? He didn't say, I did it, did he? No, he said, God did it when I went against the bear. God did it when I went against the lion. And the same God who did it to the lion and to the bear, he'll do it to Goliath. Because I serve a great God. He was courageous in the Lord. Let me ask you, where does your courage lie? My friend, you can be the bravest, most heroic person in the world, but you are no match for the real enemies of life unless you find your courage in the Lord. The Bible says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The Bible says, without him I can do nothing, but that same Bible also says, in Christ I can do all things. And if my courage is in the Lord, I can be as David, a champion for God. His past victories encouraged him to his present success. By the way, David never played any different tune than the one he played right here. If you'll jump down to verse 45, he's standing before the Philistines. You know what he says to that giant? He says to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. (laughs) David knew where his power was. He was in God. And then notice the fifth principle of uh, championship in David is he was confident in the spirit, not in the flesh. You know what Saul tried to do? When David volunteered and he's ready to go, verse 38 is kind of a funny part of this story. Saul brings David in and he says, okay, David, you know, you're going out to fight the giant, you better put some armor on. And David gets into Saul's armor, puts Saul's helmet on his head, puts Saul's armor on his body, puts Saul's sword over his shoulder, And then the Bible has a very interesting verse, uh, a very interesting phrase. It says in the middle of verse 39, and he tried to move. He essayed to go, according to this text. He tried to walk. Can you see this poor guy? Saul, as we've already learned, was head and shoulders above all the other Israelites. He was a gigantic man. As one man said, he was a 52 long and David was a 36 short. And so David climbs in Saul's armor. He's got the thing over, and he, and he tries to walk. Man, he can't even hardly move. The armor's heavier than David is. And he said, thanks, Saul, but no thanks. I don't need this. Saul says, you can't go out and fight that giant without... And David says, you don't understand. I'm not going in the outward man. I'm going in the inward man. I've already got all the armor I need. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Saul, with all of his stature and with all of his armor, was afraid to face the giant. David, without any stature and without any armor, had courage in the Lord, and he was ready to go in the power of the Spirit. God wanted to teach that group of people that it isn't by might or by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. And David was now armed with all he needed to go and fight the giant. Well, we've looked at the challenge to the living God and the champion of the living God, and let's close all this out with the conquest by the living God. The end of the story is truly exciting. There are several things we can note as we read through the rest of the chapter, beginning at the 40th verse. Please note the instruments of God. Verse 40. 
David takes a staff in his hand, takes five smooth stones out of the brook, puts them in his shepherd bag, which he had even in a scrip, and his sling was in his hand, and he goes out to meet the Philistine. That's all the instruments he had, five stones and a sling. Note, secondly, the insult to God, verses 41 to 44. Can you imagine Goliath as he stands there after having stood there for six weeks? Finally, he gets somebody who's a taker. And as he looks, he kind of shakes his head and he scratches his eyes because this person coming toward him doesn't have any armor on. There's no armor bearer in front of him. My goodness, he looks like a boy. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. And you know what the word disdain means in the Hebrew? It means he curled his lip at him. (laughs) Can you get that picture? He curled his lip at him. He snarled at him. For he was but a youth and red-haired, and he had a fair countenance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And one writer that I read this week said that one of the gods that was a Philistine gods that would probably was in the name and in the voice of Goliath was the god Dagon. Do you remember him? He's the god that every time they put the ark in front of him, he fell over backwards and broke his neck. And they kept propping old Dagon up and he kept falling over and breaking his neck because he was not a god. He was just a piece of clay. He was nothing. And David knew all about that. And I can just imagine David walking out there to meet Goliath. And Goliath says, I curse you in the name of Dagon. And David starts to chuckle. You mean that God that keeps falling off the stool? You kidding me? And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give thy flesh into the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come at me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That's what I call the intimidation of a giant. <laughs> David intimidated Goliath in the power of God. You know, you got to stop for just a moment and realize, David better hope his faith is genuine. Right now is the moment of truth. He has just infuriated the biggest man who ever walked on the earth. And if God isn't who he says he is, David is dead meat. Do you know there's an awful lot more at stake here than meets the eye? Did you know that the whole plan of redemption is at stake right here? Because God had promised that his son, the Savior, would come through the Davidic line. If David dies, redemption is over. But he isn't going to die, is he? I love the rest of this story. I have these little sentences that help me think through the story, the instruments of God, verse 40, the insult to God, verses 41 to 44, the intimidation of a giant, verses 45 to 47. And then I love this, and I've chosen these words carefully. The impact of a champion. David is about to make an impact on Goliath. Takes out his sling, puts in the stone, whirls that baby around, and whap, 
stone goes right in the giant's head. Apparently he hadn't even put on his helmet because he was so disgusted with this very inadequate competitor. And the stone goes in the giant's head and the Bible says he falls face forward and there's a rumble all over when that giant hits. I mean, the guy had to go four or 500 pounds and with all that armor on, he made a big sound in that valley. Kawoom. David runs up and the Bible says he gets the giant's sword. Can you picture David trying to get the giant's sword out? I mean, if the man's spear weighed 20 pounds on the end, can you imagine how his sword must have been? I can see David. He pulls the sword out of the sheath and all he can get it out. He gets it up and the Bible says he's standing on Goliath. And he pulls this thing up with all of his might. It's all he can do to get it up over his head. And he gets it up and then he goes, oh, he drops it. And Goliath's head is gone. And I want to be on the side where the Israelites are, staring up at this whole thing in unbelief. Do you see what's going on down there? I mean, you talk about scratching your eyeballs. I mean, did I see what I just thought I saw? And on the other side, the Philistines are watching too, and they're saying, Ooh, we're in trouble. (laughs) And the Bible says, and it's almost a poem if you read it in the text. When the Philistine fell dead, the Philistines fled. That's what it says. Their champion was gone. You know how God won that victory? Listen to me. With a teenager who was unarmed except for five stones, a sling, and a borrowed sword. Why? God loves to use the foolish things to confound the wise, that no one may glory in his presence. That's the story. God was the conqueror of the giant. Now, I don't want you to close your Bibles yet, and I'm going to do this quickly, but I don't want you to lose the impact. You say, Pastor Jeremiah, what does this mean to me? I mean, I love this story. It's a great story. I mean, the good guy wins. And the bad guy loses. What do I care? Uh, Let me tell you some things that God has spoken to my heart about this week. As I've studied this story for, I don't know how many times I've studied it. Here's the first thing that comes to mind. Number one, we're all facing giants in our day. We're all facing the challenges of trying to live in this crazy world. Trying to be a Christian when everything mitigates against being a Christian. Trying to raise a family when everything mitigates against raising a family for the glory of God. Trying to be faithful to our church. Trying to be the people God wants us to be. Yet every place we look, it seems like there's giants. There are problems. Let me teach you what I've learned this week. Number one, confront your problems. Confront your problems. Saul wouldn't confront the problem. He tried to pass it off on somebody else. He stood there for 40 days while the problem was right there ready to be dealt with and he wouldn't deal with it because he was a coward and because he wasn't in fellowship with God and because he wasn't walking with God. I I noticed something. I don't know if you've seen this before, but I want to show it to you real quick. If you look at the eighth verse of the 17th chapter, the eighth verse says, watch at the end of the verse, And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you. Now watch carefully. And let him come down to me. Where was the giant? He was in the valley. 
He was waiting for somebody to come off the precipice where the Israelites were and come down and fight him. Now, a little bit later in the story, some time has passed. Notice the 25th verse. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man? That is, come up. Wait a minute. Where is the giant now? He has come down off of the valley, down into the valley, and now he's advancing up toward where the Israelites are. Let me tell you something I've learned about problems, friends. They don't stand still. They don't stay at a place where you can watch and protect them. Problems will advance on you if you don't advance on them. One of the hardest things for most of us to do when we have problems in our lives is to confront them. You watch and, and you see people who are going through marital stress. They will wait to the very last ditch effort before they finally confront the problem and go get help. And my friends, if we don't learn anything else from David and Goliath, we need to learn. We need to confront our problems. Because if we don't confront them, they will march on us. Are you with me? Secondly, cherish your trophies. Cherish your trophies. You know what a lot of coaches say? Listen, don't be messing around with the victories you've already won. That's over and past, and they're not going to do any good in the future. So what if you won the ball game last Friday? Bury that. You've got to play another one this week. I understand what they're saying. You can't live in the past. But I want you to know something. You cannot bury your victories. You need to cherish your victories. What did David do when he was confronted with Goliath? Do you remember? He said, let me tell you about my victories. I got the bear and I got the lion. I can get Goliath in the power of God. Let me tell you what God has done for me. Listen, we need to just get revved up as we think about the victories God has wrought for us. We need to cherish those trophies. We need to play them back over and over again. When I think of some of the victories God has given me, I want instant replay. I want to see the highlight film. Why? When I look at that highlight film, I am so charged up and encouraged. The same God who did it for me back there, he can do it for me again. Let me show you something interesting. David never quit doing this. Look at verse 54. Verse 54 is interesting. David's done with the victory now, and I'm going to be done with this message in a minute, but watch carefully. David took the head of the Philistine and he brought it to Jerusalem. Now watch this. But he put the giant's armor in his tent. What are you doing, David? I mean, it took four guys to carry it in there. I know what he's doing, don't you? Every morning when he got up and he got dressed and he got ready to leave the tent, he walked by that armor, patted it on the head. <laughs> hey, my God did that. My God. This is a trophy of his grace. Could I ask you something today, people? You got any trophies? Can you look back on God doing something for you and say, God did that, and the God who did it then will do it for me again? One last thing. Concentrate on your goals. Do you know what David's goal was? His goal was to vindicate the living God. He didn't care anything about Eliab. He didn't care much about Saul. He didn't care anything about Goliath. David cared about God. And it just tore David up when he would hear them saying the things about the living God he served. And he was so committed that he was going to vindicate his God because that was the most important thing in his life. What's most important in your life? Hmm. Yeah. That's a good question, isn't it? Um... I remember reading this and thinking that Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of God. In other words, 
everything about what I do every day is about one thing, doing God's will. I hope that's true of us. It will not always be perfectly true, but it should be our goal to live every day in the will of God and let it be our meat, our food, our food for life. Well, uh, today we get a chance to reflect on the story that we just told. I hope you learned some things that were new that maybe you haven't heard in all the times you've heard that story. Tomorrow, we're going to do sort of like the after effect of the two giants, the high cost of success. And if you have your outline, if you have your study guide, you know it created a new family, a new fame, a new foe, and a new friend for David just because of what happened. Sometimes success is costly. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Don't forget to order your copy of The Focused Life. Send a gift, and when you do, simply ask for your copy of The Focused Life. It's our resource for the month of June. And thank you so much for joining us today. I'm David Jeremiah, and this is Turning Point. Thanks for listening. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If Turning Point is helping you to grow your faith, please share it with us by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The Focus Life, a month of daily readings from Psalms and Proverbs in a beautiful leather-bound book, yours for a gift of any amount. You can also stream more than 1,200 of Dr. Jeremiah's messages on demand with our streaming service, Turning Point Plus, all for a monthly gift of any amount. Visit turningpointplus.org for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. The book of Revelation is filled with mystery, prophecy, and numbers. In fact, the number seven is mentioned 54 times. Dr. David Jeremiah helps us understand these sevens in the Revelation 7 Study Handbook and Seven Praises Bookmark, yours this month for a gift of any amount. And when you give a gift of $60 or more, you'll gain a clearer understanding with the Seven Churches of Revelation Study Set, which includes a CD or DVD album and study guide. Go to davidjeremiah.ca to learn more. For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. Did you know that nearly 2 million Turning Point radio programs are broadcast each year? Your support enables Turning Point to continue delivering the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. And thanks to our giving challenge, any fiscal year-end gift you give until the end of June will be doubled, up to $100,000. You can help Turning Point finish strong by donating today. Call 800-946-4300 or go to davidjeremiah.ca. I once read that people have a way of becoming what you encourage them to be, not what you nag them to be. Perhaps we nag more than we encourage because nagging is easier. It doesn't require much thought. It takes a bit of effort and creativity to come up with ways to encourage people in different situations. 
The Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonian Christians that he had sent Timothy to them to encourage them in their faith. Note, not to nag the Thessalonians, but to encourage them. And Timothy must have done a good job, since Paul later praised the Thessalonians for their faith. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's encouragement on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.